So, Mike, life is messy, hey? It is, but it's good. And uh, I want to apologise for those. Who came last time? You're all very brave. Well done. Coming back for a second dose. I know that last time was a bit depressing, but tonight's all about hope. So, uh, hopefully that'll encourage you. <laughs> no, it's great to have you back. And uh, we're really thrilled to be able to hear from you again, Mike. So, thank you. I'm just going to uh, pray before you speak, and, and then we'll be all ears. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you make it possible for us to do uh, anything that is your will. And Lord, we thank you that um, uh, Mike is obedient to that call. And we thank you uh, for the word that you've placed on his heart. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're uh, working in this place now. And uh, you're working in Mike to bring a message to us, a message of hope, uh, a message of transformation. Lord, may this be a blessing. May this time be a, a time for our hearts being turned back to you and uh, may every word that comes from Mike um, touch our hearts and, um, and bring us back to you, bring us to the true source of hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Sam. It is great to be here again and uh, as I said, uh, the last time we were here, I've it's flashing green, so is that right, Adie? There we go. Life is Messy Part 2. For those of you who weren't here, a 30-second recap is that uh, this life that we live here on planet Earth is made up of extraordinary adventure and wonderful things. And it's also made up of stuff that's really tough. And it would be wonderful if this whole faith thing gave us some kind of get-out-of-jail-free card. That somehow if we, you know, if we were able to say, well, you know, I've given my life to Jesus and I'm following God and I've become a Christian and suddenly all pain, all suffering, all inconvenience, all sorrow, all hard moments would suddenly vanish. And if that was true, then every, every person on the planet would sign up. Because if they looked at Christians and saw that our lives were perfect, without any blemish, without any sorrow, without any difficulty, everybody would want a piece of the action. But the reality is, is that all of us are going to experience both the wonderful blessings of life and the great sorrows of life. And I did say to the young people who are just entering into this wonderful phase of being young people, and I don't want to dampen your enthusiasm at all, because life is an extraordinary adventure. And I have loved every single moment that God has given me. But it's fair to say that sometimes life gets a bit messy. And I'm sure that even in your fledgling years, and you're probably saying, no, we're much older than that, but uh, I'm an old, decrepit grandfather, so I can talk about your fledgling years. I'm sure that you guys have also experienced, at times, possibly, a bit of pain, a bit of disappointment, a bit of sorrow. And uh, the reality is, is that life's just a smorgasbord. And we tried to paint that picture last time. So the point, therefore, tonight is, well, what are we going to do about it? And so the first thing I want to say is, well, so whose fault is it? Why is it that being a human being on this planet means that sometimes life gets me? Well, I want to say that there are a few people who are at fault at times. First of all, there are times in our lives where we go through difficulties and it's our fault. And we make choices in our life where the inevitable consequences of those choices mean that sometimes life gets messy. Sometimes life gets a bit tough. And as an educator, what I'm discovering more and more is that uh, we now have what we call helicopter parents or rescuing parents 
who rush in uh, whenever their child may have done something that was slightly a bit naughty and they excuse the behaviour. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sure that, you know, it must have been somebody else's fault. Uh, the reality is whether we're Christians or not, uh, there is a moment in time when we have to acknowledge that maybe sometimes it was me that made the mistake, that messed things up, that got things wrong. But I have great good news. And that is what I call the God of the veranda. And this is Mike Potter's version of the prodigal son. And I love this picture that when the son finally works out that he's stuffed up, it wasn't anybody else's fault, it was his mistake, he came home and he's headed on this journey and he finally got to the horizon where he could see the farmhouse. And the father was not out in the shed at the back busy. The father was not sitting in his study working on his accounts. The father wasn't even out with his other son, as the story goes, having a decent conversation or planning the future. It says that the father saw him from a long way off. And I have this wonderful picture that from the moment the son left, that every spare moment the father had, he went out onto the veranda and looked to the horizon. I want to tell you tonight that irrespective of how much we might muck up, how many times we may get things wrong, I want to tell you tonight that God's standing on the veranda longing for us to come home. And that is wonderfully good news. Because it says that as soon as he sees his son coming home, the father runs to him. Now that was a very radical thing for Jesus to say in those times because Jewish fathers did not run. They had to maintain a semblance of respect and demure uh, posture. And yet Jesus tells this story of the father running to his son, holding him close, kissing him and hugging him, crying over him with joy. I want to tell you that sometimes life is messy and we've marked up. And sometimes we beat ourselves up and we blame ourselves and we think that maybe because we've mucked up that there is no hope for us that we've, we feel cast down, we feel rejected, we feel alone. I want to tell you tonight that there is a God who stands on the veranda waiting for you. He's looking to the horizon for you. And he provides you with abandoned, unconditional love. I think that's wonderful hope. The second one is, is that sometimes it's other people's fault. Life gets messy and other people mess up. And sometimes they not only mess up their lives, but they mess up our lives as well. And they do things and we are the recipients of their mess. And it is so easy for human beings to look at them and as uh, some people have said, grace for me and judgment for them when it comes to God. I have said, no, 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 it should be grace for me grace for them. And the question that I ask myself when I am working with people who are going through the messiness of life, and this is the question I ask sometimes when actually I'm the recipient of that mess, is am I on the veranda too? And that's a real challenging thing because I would hope that if God had somehow weaved Mike Potter into the story of the prodigal son, that I would have been so passionate 
about people whose lives were a bit shipwrecked, people whose lives were really struggling, people who may act out of their hurt and their anger and their bitterness over life, that instead of me getting all self-righteous and going doing my own thing like the older brother did, that I might be standing shoulder to shoulder with my father on the veranda, longing and hoping for my brother or my sister to come home. And that is probably a biggest challenge for me because sometimes I do get indignant when people say horrible things about me. And I'm a principal, so lots of people say horrible things about me. Somebody once said that if you're a principal, you could be standing in a room and somebody could walk in and uh, they would look around and they said that 30% of the people who do that will dislike me purely because of the fact that I'm a principal, even before I've even opened my mouth. So sometimes I am the recipient. But God is saying to us as Christians, rather than getting all self-justified and getting all indignant, will we go out and stand on the veranda as well? Because, you know, they're probably living in a messy life. They're probably living in a place of heartache and disappointment and stuff's happened and they feel alone and they don't know their value, and sometimes they act out, and we may cop it, but you know, maybe they need to come home too. And I want to encourage you tonight that while life is messy for us, it's also messy for others. And it's funny how sometimes the people that pick on us and the trouble causes are other Christians. And yet God is saying to us, grace for me, grace for them. How about standing on the veranda? together shoulder to shoulder with the father longing for praying for and when we see our brothers and sisters coming home do we stand there with our arms folded going yeah well I told you so yeah well I was right and you were wrong or do we run with the father to be with our brother as they come home you see life can be messy but out of messiness restoration can come but it's an affair of the heart one if it's us that have messed up if it's our fault then turning around and saying, you know, there is a God of love who will welcome me home. You do not need to be afraid. You do not need to be fearful of God. He wants to run to you. But it may be that there are people around you and you know that you've messed up and it's impacted on them. I would hope that you would have also the same trust that they will also run to you and not judge you, but receive you home and welcome you in and love you as God loves you. Sometimes, though, it's nobody's fault. Stuff just happens. Beautiful people die on us when they shouldn't. One of my best mates gets motor neuron disease and he's slowly deteriorating and he's a beautiful man and I love him dearly and I'm having to watch him slowly deteriorate and it's tough. But it's not his fault. It's no one's fault. Sometimes life just happens. Sometimes you adopt a child like we did and you love them passionately and then you find out that they're autistic and you say, we were doing all the right things. We were compassionate and loving and took this child in and then you give us a difficult son with autism. That's not fair. And God goes, hmm, what about extraordinary grace and love and being the parent that that beautiful little boy was never going to have. 
Sometimes life is just messy. Sometimes we wake up one day and discover we've got cancer. And that's a bit of an inconvenience. And it's not our fault. Life just happens. I want to encourage you that in those moments we can get really downheartened because we don't understand and life gets messy and we know it's nobody's fault and we want to find a solution to it. We want to blame somebody. Can I tell you? The answer lies in this. We live in a broken, mixed, imperfect, dying old world and stuff just happens. And God is not inflicting us with it. God is not beating us up. We're not beating each other up. Sometimes life is just messy. And I love, I have fallen in love again with Psalm 23. You see, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There is nothing in Psalm 23 that suggests that we don't have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death sometimes. When things are dark, when there are dark places. But God, in the midst of my dark place, is my hope and my comfort and my guide. It also says that he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I thought about that and thought, now, if I was a man of great faith, rather than eating a meal in the presence of my enemies, I would first of all go and defeat all my enemies, clean the place out, bring in some strobe lights and everything else and set up some all sorts of wonderful things, turn the dark valley into a light valley and then I could sit down and have my feast in peace. But the scripture doesn't say that. It says that God prepares for us a, a feast in the presence of our enemies. Life is still going on. Tough things still happen. The enemy of our souls, the enemy is still there. But he provides us a feast in the midst of that. And what he says is, is that, yes, life is going to be messy, but I am with you right there in the middle of it. And it's not just about hanging on to the storm and bravely trying to survive it. Actually, we can actually find a place of plenty and of rest and of grace, even in the toughest situations. The tough situations may never go away, but God said that he will never go away. He will always be with us. He will always walk every step of the journey with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. These are not just glib promises from God. These are his unconditional commitments to us. And I want to encourage you tonight that whether you feel like you've stuffed up and you wonder whether God will receive you back, he will run to you. Maybe you think there's been other things that have happened in your other people's lives. God is wanting to restore relationships and build things again. And sometimes things just happen in our lives and we don't understand why. God is saying that he will be with us in the midst of the storm. And he will give us hope that will enable us to not just persevere, but in the end, shine for him. So, that's the first part. The second part is this. So how do we find hope in the middle of the mess? Life is going to be messy. Life is going to be wonderful. I have the most extraordinary wife and I'm very grateful for it. 34 years at the end of this year. Thank you, Jesus. I am also the grandfather of the most beautiful child on the planet. And he brings me great joy. And when he sees me 
and he throws his arms out. He's only 15 months old and he wants me and nobody else. It is a wonderful moment. I have an extraordinary life. I have a wonderful job. I have great mates. There are wonderful things going on. And God is my best friend. And he and I have been doing this journey since I was 12, way back in 1973. And he has absolutely kept his part of the bargain. He's been wonderfully faithful. But in the midst of that, life has also been pretty mucky. And there have been some awesome things that have happened in my life that I wish had never happened. But God has been faithful. So how do we find hope in all of that? Well, tonight you're going to get Mike's top three tips. And if you remember nothing else from this, it was really a bit disappointing when Sam told me that people said, so who's speaking again tonight? And they said, oh, Mike Potter. And they said, who's he? And they said, oh, he's the guy who can grow his hair really long from his eyebrow. And people, I said, oh, yeah, some thought, oh, yeah, I remember him. Some, someone else said, nah. And he said, oh, he's the, kid, he's the bloke with the two African boys. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought, okay, so I'm remembered for two African boys and a very long growing eyebrow. But here are my three tips, which I hope that you remember tonight, okay? And it doesn't matter whether you're fine young men here or whether you're octogenarians. These, I think, I think are the three tips that are getting me through. The first one is that when life gets messy, God wants to say to you, you have permission to grieve. It's okay to be sad. Sometimes we think as Christians that we shouldn't get too sad because it will look like we don't have enough faith. As my brother said to me, five days after his beautiful wife Avril had died on him, without any warning, he said to me, my faith is strong, but my heart is broken and that's okay. Quite often as Christians, we live as if those two things can't be in the same room together. So we say, well, I'm a Christian and horrible things are happening. So I must remain strong and stoic and happy and give glory to God and sing, it is well with my soul. And I cannot acknowledge that my heart is broken, even though deep down that's how I feel. Because we think if our heart's broken, we're not doing the right thing by God. Or we admit that our heart's broken and our heart feels completely splattered and we think, oh, my faith must be so bad. I must have really let God down. I want to tell you that God wants to give us all a break. He actually wants to take the pressure off. He doesn't want us to live under a false assumption. He wants to say to you tonight that when stuff gets tough, it's okay to grieve. Your faith can remain absolutely strong and vibrant. Your heart can be broken at the same time. And God wants to say, it's okay. It's all right. I'm not judging you. It's okay. Because that's why God said to us that he would be the God of all comfort. He said that he would shelter us under the shadow of his wing. He said that he would mourn with us. He would gather us like his own and hold us in his arms when things get wrong. I want to encourage you tonight that you have permission to grieve and your faith can remain strong as well and I tell you what for someone looking from the outside in about Christianity if they can see that stuff is going on in our life and it actually moves us and our hearts can be broken but they can still see something within us which is hopeful which enables us to continue to look to God even though we're struggling that might actually look a bit more real to them than us going Oh, well, it's okay. 
nothing's wrong, you know, it's all good here. But actually us being human and allowing others to see the fact that we walk a journey just like everybody else does and sometimes we're carrying heavy weights just like everybody else does but we have a hope that we can tell them about because it's the hope of our own hearts and that is Jesus. So that's my first tip. The second tip is to remember that God is love. And I'm not making this up because that's what he says about himself. God is love and his grace will be sufficient for you. When I've been going through times of real difficulty and when things are tough and when I'm trying to work out what's going on in my life, there are two things that I remember and hold on to, even though the way seems dark and things seem difficult in my life. I hold on to two absolutely non-negotiables in my life. God is love and he's not punishing me and he doesn't hate me and I haven't failed him. He loves me with an everlasting, pure and wonderful love. And the second thing is that his grace is sufficient. He will hold my hand even in the darkest days and he will walk with me every step of the way. He will never let me go because he has committed himself to me. And he has said, Mike, you're my boy. We're in this together and we're going to walk this journey together and I will never, ever let you go. My grace is sufficient for you. So number one, we have permission to grieve. We can have broken hearts and we can have a strong faith and it all works still okay. Number two, God is love. Jesus said that for God so loved. We quote that scripture so many times, we forget the extraordinary depth of it. For God so loved the world that he gave everything for it. And his grace is sufficient. And number three, this is my third tip. Oh, I'm going backwards. No, I'm... Wow. Here we go. There he is. Number three. I apologise. Number three. When things are going tough, you need to find your green pastures and still waters. Because Psalm 23 also says that he leads me into green pastures and by still waters, he restores my soul. We need to find those places in our lives that are our green pastures and still waters and let God store us. Yes, we can have a broken heart and a resilient faith. Yes, we can know that he loves us and his grace is sufficient for us, but he also wants to restore us. He wants to lift us up. He wants us to do more than just persevere. He wants us to grow and to come into a place of great rest. He wants to restore our hurting hearts. He wants to bring new life. He wants to bring light when it was tough. He wants to bring hope into our lives. And so that we can then reflect hope to a desperately needs it as well. So I've discovered in my life, especially over my journey of the last three years, that we can say green pastures and still waters and we can make it very theological. I've discovered that for me, my green pastures and my still waters are very real places. And the first place that is my 
green pasture and still water is worship. And I have made a deliberate decision going through some of the toughest things I've ever experienced over the last three years that I have found rediscovered the, the extraordinary wonder of immersing myself in worship. And so I have my special worship playlist and when I've had a tough day at school or where I'm dealing with really difficult things, I get into my car and I put my worship music on and I, sometimes I don't sing and I turn it up really loud and no one else gets in the car with me and I allow God's worship to wash over me and I feel better. I feel physically better. I feel emotionally better. I feel spiritually better as I allow worship to wash over me. And it's almost like I allow the angels and the worship people to do the worship and I just get to sit in it and it restores my soul. And I want to encourage you that if you're going through tough things in your life, get your worship playlist, turn off the footy show in the afternoon uh, like I've had to do and uh, because all they do is argue about stuff, I've discovered that I'm putting on my worship music now and allowing it to wash over me and allow it to restore my soul. That's my first green pasture and still waters. My second green pasture and still waters is I've decided and determined that sometimes I just need to get away. And I go bush. And uh, I go and do some extreme birding. All right. So in case you think that I'm some sort of nerdy bird watcher, I do not. I am an extreme birder. Okay. And uh, I will talk about that another time. But I get out there in the bush by myself and I've had my worship music on as I get there and then I get out and I hunt down the grey honey eater, which was my 2,000th bird in the world. And I get out in the bush and I'm by myself amongst this extraordinary creation and I got to wander a couple of weeks ago through the Ormiston Gorge up near Alice Springs, all by myself, nobody else around and I'm feeling a whole lot better. I want to encourage you to find places in your life that you don't have to escape to, but you go to where it's just you and God. Where you can enable him just to be there in the quietness and the wonder of his creation around you. It restores my soul. For my brother Steve, it's the ocean. For me, the ocean is hell because there are big things in there that eat you. <laughs> I do not go there to feel better. I go bush. There are no sharks in Alice Springs. They cannot get me there. You need to find a place that is your place of restoration. And I want to encourage you to find those places and God will lead you to your green pasture and still water. The third place I go to, and I have an extraordinary privilege of going every year to Kenya, back to my homeland, and I get to spend two weeks with these extraordinary young people. And they are such a rich blessing to me in my life because some of my green pastures and still waters is actually going and doing something good. Yes, we can be walking through difficulties. Yes, we can be struggling with life. Go and do something good for somebody else. It's amazing that when you take your eyes off yourself and what you're walking through and actually go and do something selfless and beautiful. And every year I take a group of year 11s and we go to Kenya and we spend time with these wonderful children. Beatrice, Monty, Simon, Dennis, Camilla, Stacy, and Grace. 
And I am Uncle Mike to them and they love me. They love me unconditionally and when I get there, I get off the bus and they run to me and they hug me and they love on me and we spend two glorious weeks together and we do, we do lots of practical work. But these beautiful children who have every reason to be bitter and twisted about life because they've lost their parents. They've either been orphaned, they've been thrown away, they've been abandoned, they've had HIV and nobody wants them and they're in this beautiful home and they, instead of being bitter and twisted, they love me unconditionally and they give grace and joy to me and it makes me realise that the things that I'm walking through, if they can do it and they're 12, then I can do it. And I want to finish with this. This is Alice. Twelve months ago, I was coming out of a very dark of my life, which has caused me to do Life is Messy. We got to Kenya, and Alice was there, and Alice is three years old. She's now four, and this is me with her this year. And Alice was standing there, and she'd been at the children's home for all of three weeks. Her brother Alex is five, and he's HIV. And they'd only just come to the home, which means they'd only just come out of the trauma of either being orphaned or being abandoned. And they were standing there and they, the bus pulled up and all of these African kids ran over to the bus as we got off and were standing there and chanting Uncle Mike, Uncle Mike, Uncle Mike and giving me a hug and all that sort of stuff and high fives and it was fantastic. And Alice is three. She doesn't understand a word of English She's never met me before. And she watches what all the other children are doing. This high, she looks around and everybody else is running over to Uncle Mike, Uncle Mike, Uncle Mike. So she toddles over, looks up at me, stands at my feet, looks up at me and goes, Uncle Mike, Uncle Mike, Uncle Mike. First English word she's ever spoken because that's what everybody else is saying. Puts her arms up in the air and gets me to pick her up. And then this dear little three-year-old who's just lost her own parents, never met me before, reaches out and begins to stroke my face. And it was like God saying, I know you've been through a difficult time, Mike. Here's a precious little angel just to let you know I love you. And will you please, Uncle Mike, love her back? Because she's lost her family. And he, she stroked her face. I'm not sure whether she was trying to get the white skin off to find the black skin underneath. Because <laughs> she had, probably hadn't seen too many white people before. But it was this act of extraordinary trust in a complete stranger. She just loved me when I was in a dark place. And God said... I know you, Mike. I know what you're going through. I love you. My grace is sufficient for you. Here is a precious gift called Alice. I caught up with her again this year. I picked her up. She stroked my face again. And she hugged me. God understands that life is messy. That's why he had to send Jesus. 
He needed to send somebody in who would demonstrate unconditional love for all of us. He understands that sometimes things are tough. He wants to hold your hand. He wants to walk every step of the journey with you. He wants to be with you in the dark places. He wants to prepare a feast for you. He wants to invite you into worship where he can restore your soul. He wants you to take places where you can feel better. And he wants to gift you with people in your life and circumstances in your life that will give you courage and hope again and cause you to lift your head up. And out of that, he then wants you to give hope to others. Life is messy, yes. But hope is greater. And it's not in having the tough stuff exempted or disappear. It's about hope in the mess so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. That's me. Life is messy, but I'm going down fighting. God bless you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the extraordinary grace that you give to all of us. Father, I pray that whether we're someone who is on the journey home and is wondering what sort of reception we'll get from you, or whether, Father, we are people who have known you all our lives, I pray, Lord, that we would understand that you are love and that your grace and your presence is sufficient. I pray, Lord, that we would understand that you want to draw us close. And while things in our lives may cause us to have broken hearts at times, Father, I pray that we would always know that our faith can be strong because you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in mercy and abounding in love for us. I thank you, Father, that you will always be with us in the dark places. I thank you, Father, that you will always lead us into good places. And I pray, Lord, that each of us here tonight would know that we can lean into you and that you will restore our soul and that you will give us hope for our futures. Father, whether the, the people here are, are young or old, I pray, Lord, that right now that they would know that you love them and that your grace is extended to them and they can receive that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I think uh, hearing a word like that is um, it's going to lead us into a place where we, we want to just be still and reflect and um, soak in that, that promise, that, that hope, that love of the Father for us. And as you speak, I The stars are made